If you would, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word as we settle back into our seats. I'm glad. I'm glad that everybody is happy to see one another. It is a blessing to be in God's house as always. We are going to be reading from Mark chapter 16 this morning, reading verses 1 through verses 8. And the Word of God says this, it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Please be seated. It is at this time I would invite our children to head out to Children's Church if they have not done so already. I know in that natural transition, I think they all head for the door, and that's okay. You know, I wanted to, today we are, are looking at the resurrection. And, and I want to remind you that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday in the church. Because when we gather, the reason we come in on a Sunday morning to worship is because it was Sunday morning that Christ came out of the tomb. And so a lot of times we may ask the question, and if you ever have your kids or if you're a young person and they ask you, why do we go to church on Sunday? We can answer by saying, because Jesus rose from the grave on Sunday. And we go to celebrate the resurrected Jesus and that we get to experience the resurrection if we put our faith in Jesus. This morning, this is not, we do not just meet on Sunday mornings for the purpose of getting a good Bible lesson. We don't come to church on Sunday mornings just because it is some American tradition that we came up with on our own. We come together on Sunday mornings to worship God because on Sunday mornings, Jesus stepped out of a tomb. Now, I'll be honest with you. When we think about kind of the Easter Sunday message, and we look at, we're looking at the resurrection, and we expect to have these type of, of Scripture readings and these type of messages on an Easter morning, it is very rare that we turn to the Gospel of Mark. In fact, if you think about it a little bit, there may have been times, I'm sure, 
in your, in your past as you've showed up for maybe an early morning service on Easter or you've come for an Easter service on Sunday morning or whatever it might have been, and you might remember them reading from Mark, but very rarely do we actually do that. It seems more likely, and I'm guilty of this by the way, that we're going to turn to John. And we're going to talk about how Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene and spoke with her when, when she thought he was just a gardener there among the crypts. We may go to Matthew and we'll read about um, this conspiracy theory that happened in Matthew and how what happened with these guards who guarded the tomb and, and how they explained it away. We learn of the Great Commission in Matthew. And to go and make disciples of all nations. We might turn to Luke. And in doing so, find ourselves on the road to Emmaus with those two travelers heartbroken after all the events of, of that Friday. And find our own hearts burning as Jesus begins to reveal God's plan all through the scriptures on the road. But Mark is a little different. Mark doesn't have all of these other bits. And, and Mark is something that often we overlook. Because unlike the other ones that are filled with these amazing accounts of Jesus in bodily form and, and joy and celebration and worship, Mark's account of the resurrection seems to be filled with fear and trembling. The resurrection, according to the Gospel of Mark, is almost this mysterious event. And if we're honest, it is probably, and if we're honest with ourselves for just a moment, we may think that this is probably a little bit closer to the feel of that day. You know, as we read the Gospel of Mark, we see a scary event, and it ends with these women. Our passage ends with these women walking away in utter terror and trembling and in astonishment, having no idea what, they what it means of the things that they have seen. And I have no doubt, if we were awake that Sunday morning that Jesus stepped out of the tomb, we might have had those same feelings. Something has happened. And it is a dark day and it is mysterious and we're still wiping the sleep out of our eyes and we're still fearful of what the, Jew, the Jews are going to do to us and what the Sanhedrin may do. We're still worried of arrest. We still want to hide in locked doors. And now the body of Jesus is missing and these two women that have been with us the whole time seem to have disappeared. And if we see them, when we see them, they are scared to death over what they've seen and experienced. It is a very, very different feel than the one we usually present on an Easter morning. And yet, in the midst of all the uncertainty and all the fear, there is most certainly good news. And there is most certainly a reason for us to celebrate like we do every Sunday morning. And I think that good news is found in the words of the angel that spoke to these two women as they entered the tomb. In fact, that's what I want to do today. I want us to focus exclusively today with all the stuff surrounding it. I want us to focus exclusively on the words of the angel this morning and think about what these words mean for them at their time, but also for us today. 
So let's get into it. As we look, we see that the women entered the tomb. This is picking up in verse 5. And they saw this young man sitting there at the right, wearing a white robe. We can only assume this is one of the angels that we read about in our other passages. Mark does not take the time to explain that it is an angel, just merely that they saw a young man wearing a white robe. And he begins with these words, Do not be amazed. Now let's be honest. It was a little late for that statement. For even if we jump ahead just a little bit, it says that they went in and they saw the man wearing the white robe and they were amazed. These women had been on the road and they were going to pay their final respects. I want you to think about this for a moment. These women were on the road early in the morning to do all of this because they were convinced that Jesus' dead body still lied in that tomb. The conversation was not... Do you think he will be there? The conversation was, how are we going to open that tomb? How are we going to move that rock away? How, you know, the, I, I almost wonder if they're going, you know, we didn't really think this through. We've got all the spice and we've got all the, 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 uh, the oils and all the perfumes that we want to do to pay off, we want to use to pay our final respects, but we have no way to get in there. Do you think the temple guard will open it for us? Do you think we can find some, um, some big strong man that, that is going to move that for us? Do you think we can find a stick and maybe make a lever and pull it down? I don't know how creative these women were. There may have been a little lady engineer in the midst there. But they were walking and they were saying, how on earth are we going to get in the tomb? Because they fully expected the tomb to still be sealed. And yet looking up, they see the stone has already been rolled away. And if we look at, say, the Gospel of Matthew, the guards that should have been there were not. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while I may forget to lock my door. Or I may forget to pull my, my garage door all the way to when I leave the house. And when I walk up and I look at the door and I realize that a door that should be shut is open, I immediately go on high alert. And these women are walking into a tomb that should be shut, sealed, and guarded. And it is none of those things. And as they, in high alert, creep into the tomb, well, they see a boy, a young man, sitting, dressed in white robe. And his response to them is, don't be amazed. Don't be surprised. Don't be upset or astonished. Like what they are, what they are seeing and what they are expecting is something that is perfectly normal. Now, the word that he uses here is an interesting word. And, and, you know, if we go back throughout Scripture, there are multiple times where angels or, or, or God shows up to people and it always begins with the same words, right? It always begins with the statement, do not be afraid. And that is because to see an angel is a scary, scary thing. To see the presence of God is a frightening, terrifying thing. And so over and over and over again, we see this word, do not be afraid. And make no mistake, there's an element to that in this word. 
The word that we have in here, in the New American Standard, says do not be amazed, could mean distressed or upset. And he's saying, hey, don't be distressed, don't, be, don't worry, don't be upset. But the, the word itself is a little bit deeper than that and a pretty interesting word because it can also mean, in fact, the root of the word is to be amazed, to go, wow! And the word that we have here is the same time that when Jesus would perform miracles and he would heal people and even raise a child up from the dead, the people saw what Jesus had done and they were amazed! We've never seen anything like this before. It meant to be awestruck. And so the angel is saying more than just don't be scared, but don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by what you are seeing at this time. If we look at the Gospel of Luke and what... The angel said to the women, according to that account, in this, in this uh, different testimony, he says this, Why do you seek the living among the dead? See, it comes down to the, this. Jesus had told them that this was going to happen. I have the privilege of raising three children. And sometimes I tell my children not to do things. And this may come as a shock to you, but sometimes even after I tell my children not to do things, they do them anyways. Gasp in despair. And what do I say when, guess what? I say, hey, don't do that. And they do that. And it has undesirable consequences to them. And then they look at me with tears in their eyes like, why did this happen to me? What do you think I say? I said, I told you so. I told you not to do that. I told you riding a cardboard box down the stairs was a bad idea. And you did it anyways. And now you're on a mess on the bottom of the floor. Walk it off. And we say that, I mean, every parent, everybody here in this room probably has a point in their time, where, in their life where they told somebody, I told you so. Why are you surprised? Gravity never stopped working. Stoves are always going to be hot. Ice is always going to be slick. I told you. Why are you surprised? And I think there's an element of that in what the angel is saying to these women today. They come in to find an empty tomb and the angel says, don't be surprised. Don't be awestruck and amazed because Jesus has told you this was going to happen. In fact, in just a brief study of the gospel of Mark alone, there was six times where Jesus explicitly said to his followers, I am going to be betrayed I am going to be crucified, I am going to be buried, and I am going to rise from the grave. Six times. My good friend, uh, Dots Clan, he said from this very pulpit at one point, he said, listen, if someone, if usually if a teacher tells you something more than once, that's a good indicator it's going to be on the test. And Jesus had told his followers six different times that are just recorded. 
that he was going to be betrayed and crucified and buried and that he was going to rise from the grave. One such example is found in Mark chapter 9, verse 31. And I want you to listen to this. It says, For he was teaching his disciples and telling them the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when they have killed him, he will rise three days later. That was his lesson. That is what he was teaching them. As they were sitting around the campfire, as they were sitting in the open field, as he was discipling his disciples, he was telling them, listen, you need to understand this. This is important. The son of man, which they would have known meant him, is going to be betrayed and handed over and killed. And he is going to rise from the grave three days later. And so the angel asked, why are you still looking for the living one among the dead? Why are you amazed? For he told you this is exactly what was going to happen. It would be easy for us and maybe even funny to us that they didn't get it. And we may very well, very arrogantly say, well, if I would have been there, I would have been like, well, no, duh, he rose from the grave. What would you think was going to happen? That's why I didn't get up early and go to the grave, because I know he's, gonna, he's probably going to meet us for breakfast here in a few minutes. You think about it. Jesus' followers, they, had saw, him, they, have, they saw him heal hundreds they saw him walk on water. They saw him raise people back from the dead. And yet they did not believe that he would raise from the grave himself. But then if we look at our own lives, we begin to realize very quickly that we are the exact same way. And over and over and over and over again, we are called to put our faith and trust in the Lord and we fail to do it. We see God answer prayer. We experience his grace and mercy through the gospels. We are overwhelmed by his forgiveness and his presence. We watch as he does wonderful things, not only in our lives, but in the lives of other people around us. We see him give people strength as they go through excruciating loss. We watch him heal those who are deathly sick, bound up, bind up the brokenhearted and do absolutely wonderful and fantastic things. And yet so often we struggle to trust him and his word. And we find again and again and again that the word of God is calling us to a certain course of action. But the world tells us to do something else. And ultimately we follow the world instead of trusting the Lord. To consequences that we can only imagine. It begs the question, why do we struggle so much to actually trust God and his way? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for us when we know what the Bible is calling us to do, when we know the example that Christ has set before us, when we know what is right? Why is it that so often we ultimately choose our own way and our own path and our own desires? 
Brothers and sisters, I am pleading with you this morning. If we look to the resurrection of Christ Jesus, we can have confidence to trust in God even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we don't have all the answers, even when we are in our darkest and most fearful times, we can trust him and we can follow him and we can be obedient and it will be good. I'm reminded once again of the words that we see from Solomon in the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 3, we read these things. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. When we trust in the Lord with all our heart, we are reminded that God raises the dead that God gives new life and that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. And so we can walk with him. Moving forward in the passage, he says to them, do not be amazed for you are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. Now, if you'll remember, last week we talked about the, the idea that some people have had that maybe they just went to the wrong tomb. You know, maybe there was a mistake there. And we looked at how the women had followed all that transpired with, with Joseph of Arimathea and, and all that had gone on with there so that they had, they had certainty that where they were going... To, to prepare the body was the right place. And, and the angel in this moment removes that doubt from us when he says, he, they walk in, they see that the body is not there. There may have been a moment where they thought, oh man, we came to the wrong place. And the, the angel himself looks at them and gives them confirmation that indeed you are in the right tomb. It is just that Jesus is not here. I think there's something interesting about the fact that, that he specified, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. And I want us to make no mistake about this today. It is Jesus and Jesus alone whose resurrection the angel is proclaiming. Think about that for just a second. There is no other resurrection. There is no other hope in eternity. There is no one else who has defeated death and the grave so that you and that I might live for eternity with God in right standing with God. It is Jesus alone. You are looking, if you're wondering, where do I find hope? Where do I find eternity? Where do I find eternal life? Where do I find the resurrection? The answer is in Jesus the Nazarene. That's it. The book of Acts confirms this on multiple times. Acts 4.12, the most famous when it says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus the Nazarene, he is the Christ, the Messiah, God the Son, who left his heavenly throne to be born of a, of a woman, to live on this earth without sin, to be baptized, betrayed, beaten, crucified, and to be raised from the grave three days later in order to redeem a people for himself. There is no other way. 
We need to understand this. We need to accept it. We need to receive this truth. And we need to proclaim this truth to a world who does not know it. Brothers and sisters, I want you to listen very closely to me today. And you that are online, because I know you're watching. You cannot be made right with God by you. No matter how holy you try to be, no matter how many rules you try to follow, no matter how many church services you try to attend, no matter what name your, your name may fall under in a church role somewhere between here and the other side of the world, none of that is going to make you right with God. The only way you will be made right with God, the only way you have a hope and a future in eternity, the only way your sins may be washed away and that you might receive the righteousness of God is through Jesus Christ. If you're asking the question today, what am I looking for? The angel gave you the answer. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. For there is no other name by which you will be saved. The angel says, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He is not here. He is risen. It's an interesting fact, and we say this, and we might, uh, if you type up that phrase sometimes in your, your Word document or whatnot, and you run your spell check, it'll try to correct that, because that's not good English. You want to say, no, he rose. We even sing it that way, and there's nothing wrong with it. Up from the grave he arose. Come to early service, that's when you get to sing that one. It's a classic. In, what, six months? We've got a while. We've got a few, few months until Easter. But the way that it's written, the reason that we say he is risen is because that's how it's written. It's a passive thing. The implication is exactly what we see in Romans 10, 9, when it says that you believe with all your heart that God raised him from the dead. The reason the angel says he's not here for he is risen is because it was by the power of God, his father, that he rose from the grave. Indeed, the sacrifice that Jesus made on behalf of the world's sin had been accepted and received by God. And as a seal of his approval for the salvation of men, God rose Jesus from the grave. This is why salvation only comes through Jesus and specifically only comes through the resurrected Jesus. Paul communicated this very thoroughly in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read just a portion to you this morning. And it says this. Paul explains it like this. It says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, then we are all men most to be pitied. Paul goes on to say these words, but Christ has been raised from the dead. The angel has declared it to be so, even in our passage today, pointing to the empty place where Jesus laid. Look for yourself. Jesus is alive. And since Jesus is alive, we are made alive through faith in him. Our hope for eternal life 
comes only through the fact that Christ died, but also that he was resurrected. Ephesians 2 also speaks of this when it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgresses, he made us alive with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, and raised us with him into the heavenly place with Christ Jesus, so that in the age to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, I read all that to say this to you. Because Jesus rose from the grave, we do not need to fear death. How fitting a statement after reading Ecclesiastes 9 this morning. But because Jesus rose from the grave, we do not need to fear death. Because Jesus defeated death and walked out of the grave so that we might have eternal life through him. This leads us to the last words that Jesus said, or that the angel said to these women. Verse 7, it begins with this. It says, but go and tell the disciples in Peter. All of this good news follows with a command. And brothers and sisters, that's as true for us today as it was for these two women. He says, look, Jesus, you were looking for Jesus. Jesus is not here. Jesus has risen from the grave. And because of all this good news, go and tell the disciples and Peter. And then he gives us a promise. He says, go and tell them. And he says, there, go on to Galilee and there you will see him. First, we have the command. The women are called to go and to report this good news to the disciples, including Peter. Now, we may not really know why specifically he said it that way, but there's a, a fact to the matter here that, that Peter could have and maybe even should have been lumped into the rest of the disciples there. And yet, the angel specifically mentions Peter as one that needs to hear the good news that Jesus is alive. We may look at this and come to the realization that while the disciples had scattered and ran at the moment Jesus had been arrested, Peter not only followed behind, but then ultimately denied Jesus and even knowing him three times. And so even in this command, we might see the reality that he was looking at those who had abandoned him and denied him and said, the good news is for them. The good news is for those who abandon me. The good news is for the one who had previously denied me. And you know what that means for us in here in this room today? That means the good news is for you. The good news is for you. No matter how far away from God you have been, maybe there was a point in life where you were kind of doing this Jesus thing and you were going to church camp and you may have been attending a church and then somebody said something that you didn't like or a preacher acted unpreacherly and you got upset and you walked out the door and you've not had anything to do with church ever since then and yet for the last 5, 10, 20, 50 years you have been running from God you had scattered from God, abandoned from God and you're only here now because your girlfriend or wife or mother or mother-in-law put you in a headlock and drug you here we're glad you're here 
I wish we had more headlocking mother-in-laws. The gospel is for you. Because the very people that abandoned Jesus when things, when things went bad are the very people that Jesus is sending this message to. Maybe you're here today and your arms have been crossed when we've talked about spiritual things for days and weeks and months. And you have denied Jesus everywhere you've gone. And maybe at one point you were all about it, but then, I don't know, maybe you went into the military and it wasn't cool anymore. Or maybe you went on to college and people started challenging you with all these different things and you began to become wishy-washy in your faith to the point that when people said, well, you don't actually believe that stuff, do you? You were like, no, that's just how I was raised. And you're here today and you know in your heart that there have been times in your life where you have been asked about what you believe and you denied Christ. This good news is for you. There is nothing that we can do to be outside of God's love and his provision for grace. It does not matter how far you have fallen. It doesn't matter how many times you have failed God. It doesn't matter how what you have said in previous times to separate yourself from knowing God and acknowledging Jesus as Savior. This good news is for you and God still has a purpose and a plan for your life if you will just surrender your life to him. We, like these women and these apostles, are called to go and tell the good news that Jesus is alive. And regardless of where you are in your life and how close you may be currently walking with God or how far away you may currently be from walking with God, God still has a mission for you. And he is calling you to hear the good news that Jesus is alive, to receive that, to believe, and then to go and make that known. It has been my experience that some of the people who were the most rebellious towards God through their life became some of the most powerful witnesses to the gospel. And that may be you here today. This good news is followed by a promise. And I'm not gonna lie, this is the best promise that I think we can hope for. And if we just take a moment and we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in Afghanistan right now. I mean, think about current events. This is the hope that they are clinging on to. When this angel told these women, you will see him again. See, this Sunday morning, there are people that are not here this Sunday morning because they stayed out too late last night. They chose not to celebrate the resurrection with, the, with believers because they just didn't want to get up this morning. And I'm not into guilt trips. That's not what I do. That's not my thing. But there are going to be people today who get up and gather and worship Jesus knowing full well that maybe within minutes of assembling, they will see him face to face. Oh, that we had that passion. 
Now, the women and the disciples most certainly understood this to mean in a few moments in Galilee. Maybe as they were behind that locked door and he appeared, they expected to see him. They had the promise of seeing him face to face. But this is a promise that we have today. And that all who in, are in this room and everyone who is under the sun will one day see Jesus face to face. I want you to think about that for a second. When I say, when I say I'm go- one day I'm going to see Jesus face to face. I have a hope that when I see my Savior face to face, that he will embrace me and that he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that he will promise that from then on where he is, I will be also and it will be glorious. But everybody will one day see Jesus face to face. And all of those who are without Christ, all of those who have not surrendered their life to Christ, all of those who have never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will experience a very different Jesus than I hope to experience. Because they will experience a Jesus who is not a brother. That, uh, not the, the one that I have, the family that I have been adopted into. But they will see him and they will see him face to face as their judge on the white throne. And very different than what I hope to hear, they will hear, depart from me for I never knew you, you practicer of lawlessness. Now for me, that is untenable. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about the fact that people who I see in my daily life, the person checking me out at Walmart, the, the, the waiter or waitress that I see regularly when I go out to dinner, my, my brother or my sister, my in-law or my distant relative is one day going to stand before God and he will, and they, he, she will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but depart from me. But make no mistake, every person who draws breath, every person who lives under this sun is going to meet Jesus face to face. And as long as we draw breath, and as long as we are under the sun, we need to point people towards Christ. That they might know him, that they might believe that he indeed was raised from the grave and that they would surrender their lives to him so that they might be saved from their sins. What are we going to do with this good news? If you're with us today and you recognize that you have not believed that you have never surrendered your life to Christ Jesus and you recognize that you would very easily be one of those people who if you stood before Jesus today, that he would not know you. You can change that. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
So our question for you today is, do you believe the words of this angel? Do you believe that what he said is true? You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He's not here, for he is risen. If you believe that in your heart and you will confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, if you will make a decision and a declaration today that from this day forward, I will follow Jesus and I will surrender my life, my wants, my desires to his will. And I won't do it perfectly, but I will do my best. But today is the day that I give my life to Jesus. If you will believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth, then you too can be saved. And experience the grace that comes through a relationship with Christ Jesus. And in your salvation, be put to work for the kingdom of God. If that is your desire today, then we would invite you to do that right now. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we praise you for the, word, uh, the words of this, this angel just sitting in the tomb waiting for the first people to stick their head in that opening. God, we praise you for the good news that that grave is empty. You know, Jesus does not, we recognize that Jesus does not reside on a cross. Jesus does not reside in a tomb, but Jesus has been resurrected and he has ascended. And he even now is sitting at your right hand. God, we know that you did that. And that you did all of this in order to save humanity from their sin. That they might know you and enjoy you for all eternity. My God and my joy. We all in this room will one day see you face to face. Lord, it is my hope and it is my prayer. That when we see you face to face, it is not as a judge to condemn us, but as a brother to welcome us. And God, we know that only comes when we give our life to you. And so, Lord, if there is anyone in this room today that has not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, if there is anyone on the, the video watching online that has not given their life to you, Lord, I pray that today is the day they do it. That they would believe that the news that this angel had today was good news and that it was true. And that they would confess to make Jesus the Lord of their life. God, we pray these things in his name, in his name alone. Amen.